Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Now Hear This is a music review podcast and is not directly affiliated with any artists or album projects discussed on the show. Think of us like your record collection come to life. Well, except for that Miles Davis album you keep thinking we've never heard before, but we totally have because everyone totally has. You got a record of your favorite songs. You got an hour and it won't take long. You got a pair of brand new friends. You got a ticket gonna stick to the end. I said, now hear this. Hi, I'm Allison. I'm Jamie from The Kills. And I put my cigarette out in my drink, and I and it was like ash and ice. That's good. Could you say that again? It's Jiminy Glick. I'm looking for cancers that they haven't found yet. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Brady, Ryan Woo. Fitzgerald Brady. Woo! Are you, you know recording? I'm... Yeah. This is the episode, by the way. Oh, I know I'm in. You, Ryan. Can you hear that I know I'm in? Ryan. Yes. Are you ready to talk about sex? <laughs> We're going to have the talk. We're going to have the talk today. I had a feeling we might be talking about that on this episode. It's been a while since we've seen you. Two weeks, as a matter of fact, and uh, we missed you in that time. I'm speaking to the audience now, Ryan. Yeah. And on this show, we give each other albums. And this week, Ryan, I've given you an album that I love by an artist that I love or a group of artists, I should say. And I think I like the artists in the end more than the record. Interesting. But I think this is the album that I would give to somebody who has never heard an album by the band we're talking about today, The Kills. We're talking about 2016's Ash and Ice. The Kills are Allison Mosshart and oh, Jamie Hintz. Oh, God. Yeah. Now, had you, Ryan Fitzgerald Brady... Yes. Hey, what, what is your middle name? Richard. Really? Ryan Richard Brady. No, I like that. That's good. Did you ever think about going by like Dick Brady or something? All of the time. In fact, I <laughs> there was... <laughs> it's the only... It's got a ring to it. It's the That's only popping. thought I ever had. The only reason I don't... <laughs> 
is that my uh, my grandfather is Richard, and so he was always Dick. They'd call him Dick, and yeah, I, he died what seven years ago. So I think. I think that when I hit 40, I can pull it off. Be like, you know what? I'm dick now. Wow. Yeah. I think he has got to be gone 10 years. And then it's just going to... Because I've really loved Ryan. Like, very 80s sounding name. I like my last name. It's all right. Well, we could try it, like, boiling you down, like Cher or something, to just Brady. Have you ever thought about being boiled down to Brady? Uh, The second thought that I have often is being boiled alive. (laughs) (laughs) How are you breeding my mind like this? My middle name is Wayne. Oh, I love your dad. Remember when I said he was my new dad on that that ad we did? And he was like, oh, what? (laughs) (laughs) He said, he goes, he went, wow. (laughs) Hey, by the way, speaking of my dad, thank you for doing the episode 100 of Yesterday and Today. It was wonderful having you on there. Can't wait. I have to check that out. Oh, you sound great. I appreciate that. You know, I've I've been public speaking so much that that's starting to happen where they go, oh, yeah, you were on that thing. And I was like, I was? <laughs> when did I record that? Because we're on I Zooms. Know. We do so many We're podcasts. on podcasts and we're on Zooms. And now Annabelle's doing her show. There's so many things. The Lucy and Annabelle show, which you should oh, all please. check out. Produced by Ryan and myself. Annabelle is now friends with Joe Walsh's daughter, Lucy. And so Annabelle, the daughter of Davey Jones from the Monkees, that is a wild show. A weird and wild show. My dad listened to the first episode. What did he think? He said, I think the young people will like this. <laughs> I love your dad. Oh, my God. <laughs> Let's talk about the kills. Oh, Ryan. yes. Yes. Did you know about the kills? What are, you, what are your so, familiar, passing familiarities with the kills? I'm not just narcissistically talking about my wife and her friend, Lucy. Annabelle and I were talking about this album when I was listening to it and preparing and she goes, and I've really started to get my Annabelle impression down, and I've got to take- It's good. It's very good. It's a good impression. Oh, well, you know, Ryan, my mother sold off flat in England to the kills, and You're fuck- so we up. knew them. I'm like, what, what do you mean you knew them? She's like, oh, we knew everybody at that time. You know, she starts listening to rock star names. I'm like, what was I doing at that time? Mowing the lawn somewhere in Chicago. Oh, my God. God, I mean, I'm about to talk about that flat in the freaking research here. Yeah, that's uh, that's where uh, Annabelle. That's her. Mo- it was her mom's place. It was Davy and um, Anita's. Pretty I can't wild, huh? With this, I can't with this. Well, yeah. Aside from that, excuse me, alcoholic. The they say it, you, only if you're doing it in secret, and like that's the only. One I, I am think. so. I think I'm definitely <laughs> a thousand percent an alcoholic. I am definitely not doing it in secret. I make a joke out of it to to people. Every time I see it in like a cartoon or something, like or a movie where like uh, you know an old grizzled police commissioner is taking a swig and then tucking it into his jacket, I I look at that aspirationally, and I think that's part of my Me problem. Too. I think both of us. <laughs> If we wanted to be actors, that would be like when we're in our 40s and 50s, we could play the grizzled <laughs> police commissioner in our own way. God damn it, McGarnacle. Ooh, it's that new show about the policeman who solves crimes in his spare time. Crank it, Homer. You busted up that crack house pretty bad, McGarnacle. Did you really have to break so much furniture? You tell me, Chief. You had a pretty good view from behind your desk. Ah, uh, McGarnacle. Eases the pain. The Kills were always one of these bands 
to me where I'm like, this is one of those new rock and roll groups that can work on the radio. It's that slick sound, that clean studio sound that you yeah. call, I, I'd call it like boutique garage rock or something like that. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the boutique garage. I like that. Uh, how do I say this? Am I a super fan? No. But every time I've bumped into them, it's like bumping into that guy at the parties in New York where you're like, I don't know him very well, but we always have a good <laughs> chat. I think his name is Jack or Dave or something. All right, I'll see him again in a couple of weeks. That's how I feel about the kills where they are a great group. I haven't heard a lot of music that I go, I got to turn this off. And I mean, we got some attractive people in this group, Paul. Yeah, well, Alison Mosshart is, I mean, I'll tell you a little bit about how I got to know yeah. the kills. It's through Alison Mosshart because, and I'm not sure if you bumped into this in your research, but as I'm wearing the shirt right now, she is also the lead singer of The Dead Weather. That I did know, actually. That's right. Well, I sent you videos. And yes. Yes. Um, what a fun video you sent, by the way, that party. The Anthony Bourdain. Oh, my gosh. Disgraceland. Yeah. And they all get tattoos as party favors. Unbelievable. Welcome to Disgraceland, Allison's Nashville home. It's a house party, so there's got to be food. And as one must at any reputable house party, live entertainment. Dean Fertitta, Jack Lawrence, Mr. Jack White and Allison Mossar, known, I believe, as the dead weather. Well, I never know how to treat you. You say I love you, but it ain't true. I'm looking away now. Hey, what's that for the back to? I give up from the heavens. In another part of the house, Free party favors for everyone. Permanent ones. Choose your tattoo carefully, my drunken friends. Choose well. I oh, spelled Donald Trump wrong. <laughs> Allison got a tooth because it's quote for biting. <laughs> um, so this is true. I what I used to do for music, and I feel like if I'm repeating myself, I apologize, dear listener, and dear dear Dick. My dear friend, Dick. I used to read Rolling Stone magazine. You remember magazines? They were fun. They're not just for dentist's office anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Some magazines are great. Sometimes I like seeing all the ads in magazines. Yeah. Well, I, I used to read Rolling Stone magazine fairly religiously. And what I would do, and we're talking tail end of the 2000s, is every time I'd go to the back for the album reviews, and then I would pull a track from every album they reviewed and find it on LimeWire and sample it. And I think that's what your people, your record company people, are maybe hoping people will do. But what I was trying to do was expose myself to new music, because this is before Spotify was telling you what you should like and all that stuff. So I found the song Sour Cherry from The Kills through one of those Rolling Stone LimeWire excursions. And we're talking 2007, maybe early 2008, now, Alison Mossart becomes involved in the Jack White world in 2009 with The Dead Weather. She forms a band with 
Jack White on drums, Dean Fertitta from Queens of the Stone Age on guitar and synth, and Jack Lawrence from the Tours on bass. And obviously, as a Jack White super fan, I became very acquainted with the kills. Right. Through, you know, the dead weather. And it, I still don't really go to their early stuff all the time. But by the time you get to a record like this, like Ash and Ice... It's commercial enough and it's melodic enough and it's catchy enough where I'm like, okay, I can rock out to this. I get this. And the song Doing It to Death and the video for Doing It to Death is so captivating. It's so irresistible that this album is really ingrained in me as like a favorite, maybe only maybe half on the strength just of Doing It to Death alone. Okay. So I'll walk through a little bit of their history, but the please, I don't, ha- I don't really know anything aside from that, that apartment or whatever kind, whatever it is, the flat you'd call it. Yeah, yeah. So the Kills are Allison Mossart and Jamie Hintz, as I mentioned. They are a half UK, half US rock and roll duo. Allison was born in Vero Beach, Florida, in 1978, and she was involved in the local music scene in Florida early, you know, at a very young age in her teen years. And she was in a pop punk band called Discount with her skateboarder friends at age 17. Mm-hmm. So we're talking mid nineties time frame here. Right. I didn't know some of this stuff. They toured and they put out an album while they were all still in high school. And in 2000, Discount split after they released their third studio album. I didn't know idea they put out three studio albums. And they actually garnered some fairly substantial critical acclaim. Rolling Stone, (laughs) this is interesting, Rolling Stone dubbed Discount on their 50 greatest pop punk bands list. At the time, which is wild, because when I think of Alison Mossard, I don't think of pop punk at all. And also, I had no idea she was getting this kind of critical acclaim when she was a fucking teenager. Yeah, news to me. Yeah, so anyway, it was while on tour with Discount in the UK that Alison heard... She was staying in, a, in an apartment, and she heard music coming from the room above hers in the townhouse that they were staying in. And so she actually went upstairs to investigate what the music was. She heard guitar playing. Huh. And it was Jamie Hintz playing guitar. And they became friends. And when Jamie moved back... Friends, to, huh? Yeah, right. Well, I don't... I actually don't know if they were ever romantically entangled. I really don't. Hard to say, right? <sighs> that was what I... I mean, what you just said is kind of what my first instinct, too, was. I was like, oh, they must have you know, had a connection. Well, sometimes in the men and woman relationships, like there's, it's kind of like you have to get it out of the way. It sounds like Jack and Meg did uh-huh. that. Yeah. And then you're like, oh yeah, we're in a band that, all right, yeah, ah, we're, we're, we're fucking or we're in a relationship. And it's like, oh no, no, but we play well together. So forget all that now. Um, I don't know. Are they both straight? I, I, I don't, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but usually there's, always sexual tension in a, in a career in a creative relationship with a man and a woman, I, I would assume. 
I mean, all of these are good questions. This one's kind of a Schrodinger situation for me. Mm. I don't know, and I don't know that I want to know. And in the case of Allison, I actually had know nothing of her romantic history or anything like that. I don't know if she's straight or gay or fluid or bi or anything, because for me... And this is going to sound kind of weird. For me, she projects an almost androgynous thing on the stage. There's a lot of sex in what she does, but I don't necessarily ascribe it to man or woman. She's just kind of like this Robert Plant entity. Interesting. That when she gets on the stage and she's moving around, it's almost like she's having sex with the music. As opposed to a gendered person. And when she dresses, she never dresses in like skirts or girly things mm. or anything like that. It's There's kind of an androgynous way about her style. Right. And so it's just this really, she's just such a captivating musician in that sense where you definitely get sex off of it and you get all of these different kinds of feelings off of it, but it's not necessarily directed in one direction or another. That makes sense to me. So they met in the UK, and then I guess when Allison was off tour, they kept in touch, and her band Discount split up, and they were exchanging songs over the phone, and in the year 2000, she just straight up moved to the UK to move in with Jamie, Mm. and just fucking go wholesale on whatever kind of collaborations they were going to do. Now, Jamie was born in Buckinghamshire, England. Buckinghamshire, yes. Yeah, in 1968. So he's a full 10 years Allison Sr. And he joined a band called Blythe Power in the mid-80s and early 90s, a sort of traditional British rock and roll band with a tinge of anachro-punk flavor. And after Blythe Power, Jamie formed a band called Scarfo Mm. in the early 90s and was signed to both Fierce Panda Records and Deceptive Records. I didn't know that his career was this long. Yeah, I guess he was sort of bouncing around these low-level bands in the 80s and 90s. And, I, you know, they released some albums. They went on to release several singles as well. And the band came to an end when Al Saunders, the band's drummer, was severely injured after being struck by a car in London. So Jamie would wind up forming one other band called Fiji that had a handful of releases, but it's around this time with Fiji that Jamie and Allison had their encounter in the flat. And that's when they kind of got together. So <laughs> I don't know. Did you look up anything about Jamie? Am I about to blow your mind with who he was married to? You're about to b- completely blow my mind. Cause I-, I looked up stuff about the album, but not really about the biographical information. So do you know who Jamie was married to? No. Who? Kate Moss. What? They were married for about a decade. Holy shrimps. For like a long time. (laughs) That genuinely just blew my mind. (laughs) It's crazy. Um, I mean, Kate Moss, that is like, that's a once in a 
once in a lifetime, not even once in a generation. Like you see a Kate Moss every hundred years or so. That's like a Marilyn Monroe type character. That's insane, man. And he's a dapper looking gentleman, you know, he's nothing, he's not necessarily hard on the eyes, but he's also sort of kind of a regular looking rock and roller. So good for him. You know, he, he landed Kate Moss. But anyway, Jamie and Allison formed The Kills when they got together for an EP titled Black Rooster. And that was in the early 2000s. That was followed by LP releases Keep On Your Mean Side in 2003 No Wow in 2005 and Midnight Boom in 2008. Aside from some decent chart performances in the UK, the band racked up mostly just critical acclaim and multimedia usages of their music. And they kind of just became the it band for yeah. other musicians. You know, what do they say? Musicians, musicians. That's usually said in a derogatory way, but <laughs> I think in this case, they kind of were the it band, the band that other bands knew and liked. And one of those bands was the White Stripes, who made it known that they were big Kills fans when they covered No Wow live in 2003. So it was in 2008 when the Kills were opening for Jack White's band, The Rack and Tours, when Jack lost his voice toward the end of the tour, so Allison would come on stage to do the high harmonies on some of the tracks on stage with the band. This led to some recording between Jack and Allison after the tour was ended, and Jack, Little Jack Lawrence, Dean Fertitta, and Allison through those jams, formed the band The Dead Weather. Now, with The Dead Weather, Allison would actually reach kind of commercial heights that she hadn't really reached with The Kills, just through Jack's star power. put a lot of people on jack white he's a good guy in that sense you've really made me grow to love jack white i'm glad to hear that i know he's a divisive figure some people really can't stand the guy and it wasn't that i wasn't a fan Uh, it was was just more like you hear things like oh jack wow god but like when i every time i dig it i'm like oh this is just like a rock and roll man that really likes recording and records and guitars and musicians like what not to like really he just he probably just intimidates people because he's so impressive in all of the arenas that he sits in. Yeah, I mean, I can relate to him on the sense that, and we've said this before on the show, he seems to always be aggressively interested in things. And I am also aggressively interested in things. Looking at all your models of the Enterprise oh, yeah. there, I can, I can concur. <laughs> so, I got A through F, or what is it, G now? Uh, I think the E is when we last saw it. Okay, Mr. Smart Guy, I hear you. <laughs> when we last saw it. But anyway, I became a fan of The Dead Weather, and 
The Kills put out another album after the Dead Weathers first two records and they put out 2011 blood pressures and that kind of you could sense the dead weather sound infecting the kills because the kill sound early on is super avant-garde it's kind of a lot of beeps and boops and it's a lot of that's true sampling and synthesizers and i don't know i find it tough to listen to personally and i don't really go back to it all that often it's when blood pressures hits where they kind of get a little bit commercial and they kind of put the songs into a more melodic space not that they didn't have melody with their older material but it's just i don't know it sounds a little bit more commercial So we know that the inception of Ash and Ice came about around 2014 when Alison Mosshart told some reporters that she had been putting together songs for the next Kills record. And Jamie wound up producing this record with some help from John O. Mahoney. John also worked with the likes of Sum 41, Kenny Wayne Shepard, Rise Against, and... Emily Haynes of Metric. Oh, okay. Tying it all together, yeah. Tying it all together. The songs were tracked in two studios, Key Club Recording Mobile, which I think might just be Allison and Jamie's personal sort of spaces and software, and Electric Lady in New York City. Great studio, yeah. With uh, Max on our Kanye episode. Beyond Drum Programming by Jamie Hintz, Horner Steinweiss, Steinweiss? Horner Steinweiss Mm -hmm. provides drums on track six, and all of the songwriting on the record is credited to the kills, so much like, doesn't U2 do that, or fucking R.E.M. or something? Don't they just say songs by, and they don't do the individual artists, they just say the band? Yeah, it's everybody. I, I'm almost positive it's REM. And then, yeah, there's a couple other ones. I don't think, was it Tom Petty? No, couldn't possibly have been. But yeah, there are a bunch of groups where it's just like, yep, we all wrote this song. Right. Maybe The Jam or something like that. I'd Ooh. have to Ooh, The in. Jam. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh, fun fact about Horner, Steinweiss, the drummer on this record. Yeah, I guess what he played on, Ryan. Guess who he was the drummer for? Is it a Ringo album? It is not. It is Amy Winehouse. You oh. know I'm no good. All those songs, all the hits. That's, all the that's hits, this guy. Yeah. Horner. Can't believe that stuff was 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago now. That's a, a great record right there, by the way. So this album was released on June 3rd, 2016 on Domino Records, their longtime champions. And there was a massive world tour in support of this record. I saw this tour twice the first on the proper ash and ice tour and the second on their 15th anniversary tour there was other support for the record in tv spots on the aforementioned anthony bourdain uh, disgraceland special which was subsequently released as an album later on on third man records vault and james corden who is a current and continued champion of their music they actually just appeared on james corden the other night to promote the new record they've got coming out of b-sides and rarities 
called Little Bastards, which is on Uh-oh. sale, I want to say, December 11th. But Ash and Ice is, is their last new record. They haven't put out a new record of all original material really? since Ash and Ice. Yeah. Are they working on something? Well, they put out a bunch of singles in 2017. They put out actually a cover of Reparations, List of Demands, which is used for your Make a List segment by <laughs> Saul Williams. And I love that song. And so when they did it, I thought it was really interesting because Saul Williams is a black man talking about reparations for slavery right. and black poverty in that song. And they are a couple of white people and they made it work. You know, they actually did a really good job with that. But other than those assorted singles, yeah, this is this is it. Ash and Ice is the last record by the kills of new material. Hmm. I got another plan. When there requires me to stand on the stage or in the street, don't need no microphone or beat. But when you hear the song, if you ain't dead, sing along. Bang a strum on these your drums till you get where you belong. I got to This record doesn't sound dated at all. I had to go back and check, like, what year is this from? This could have came, was this this year or last year? Rock music, if you can call it rock, it's just alternative music, really. You can tell, like, oh, this is from roughly this month even these days. And I did a little digging. Allison says this, it wasn't exactly an easy record to make. It was so much like writing a song and reworking it and trying to push it into, into an uncomfortable place that we weren't particularly masters of and then try to master it. And then she says, I'm really proud of it. I love this record. I'm like, well, you can hear that because these songs sound so well produced and so well written. There's no fat on this record at all. I think that's a testament to the timeless sound is my point. Yeah. Well, her songwriting has really grown a lot over the years. And I think... I- <laughs> I feel like I'm going to talk about her a lot this episode and I apologize in advance because Jamie is half the band and he does write the majority of the material, but Allison's songwriting is exceptional. And I sent you another video of a dead weather song called impossible winter. Mm -hmm. That's the one on the train. And it's kind of like this piano ballad Adele thing where it's this pop tune and it's amazing to me that an artist like allison who is so fringe in the sense that other rock people aren't really doing what she's doing could tap into that pop vein and nail it so completely yeah if anyone out there hasn't heard impossible winner here i mean i'm gonna put a clip in here but listen to it it's a great great song and she is a very good songwriter and an exceptional singer. I'm a white noise song, thorn upon a thorn, a wind that whips around no part of any storm. And with that, I'll pop oh you full no, of bullets, where's Ryan? my Kevlar vest? 
Good morning. I'm going to be your instructor. Okay, I know you're anxious to jump right in. Paul's Bullet Corner is where I talk about the album we're listening to with poetry. First bullet. Worship, you sniveling rock and roll astigmatism putts. <laughs> that was good. Bullet point number two. The ghost of Robert Plant's undead libido. <laughs> the ghost of a... So it's like a zombie libido? <laughs> I mean, he's Robert Plant's. So. Also a ghost. A ghost zombie. Now, there is something I haven't seen, but I'd watch an M. Night Shyamalan movie about that. <laughs> Bullet point number three, if getting dizzy was fun. <laughs> oh, my God. That reminds... That just took me right back to... Remember going one of those dumb rides where the thing's going around and you... I hate those and things. And you're like smashed against the side <laughs> and you get off and then you're nauseous for an hour. And you're like, I'm so glad yeah. I paid $20. Yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it again. And my last bullet, the pulsating of simmering brains on the ground that have been fucked out by your mommy daddy. Wow. That is the most, I don't want to say offensive because not offensive. That's, that's the sexiest bullet yet. And most frightening. Thank you. Well, she is your mommy daddy. She, she's both. She definitely is. She's going to get that fucking belt out, man. I don't think that we're going to have an Uncle Sean bullet on this corner. <laughs> well, how fun was that last time? Oh, boy. That was great. That was good. But yeah, Paul, great. Good. Very. Oh, thank you very much. I would like to say, now, I am but a pleasant white man from New Jersey, so I have never been in any kind of Matrix 2-style mass orgies, but... All of that is on uh, is on your LinkedIn page, too. I... <laughs> That's your tagline. <laughs> but when I saw the dead weather in 2010, it was in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, home of, I guess, the Orioles. And I was at a club there where the dead weather per- were performing. And that was, if I had to get close, that was the closest thing I've ever been to from the mass orgy from the Matrix 2. Okay, all right. The amount of, it's the only time I've ever put my tongue in the mouth of a complete stranger. Really? Oh, so it was actually physical contact, It was intense. And it's just because, like, Allison... She just projects this like aura about her, whether it's in the dead weather wow. or the kills or what. And it was a wild, wild experience. And I always, I will always think about that moment. You know, it's before my wife and I got together. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy experience. So I'll always hold Allison and her music uh, close because that was a wild, wild time. So let's talk about the album, track one, Doing It to Death. We 
dive right into this sound. This was what the first single from this yeah, record off, yeah. as well. And a lot of synthesizer, which is not normal for them, from what I know. And I really, really, I, I dug it. I, I fell right into it. I went on a long drive because, you know, we're still in this, whatever you call it, a pandemic or quarantine. I don't know what it is anymore. You know, by the time we hit the chorus, double six in it night after night, yeah, doing it to death, doing it to death. I was like, oh, I, I completely, completely understand. And what that's, that's that's rolling the dice, I guess. I double six in it. You know, I I don't know. I always interpreted it, and I could be wrong, as six p.m. to six a.m. Right, right. Maybe maybe it's both. Yeah, like you're out there hitting either performing and then the after party from 6 p.m. you're getting ready yeah. all the way till 6 a.m. when the night ends. That's how I interpret it, but you're probably right. Either way, I think it's about, you know, the luck of the draw and chance and and extremes and all that stuff. I think this is my favorite song by The Kills just in general. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. It's got that techno avant-garde stuff of their early career applied to a commercial rock song. Not a pop song, I don't think, but a commercial rock song. And my metric with the accessibility of music is always my wife, Susanna, who has a much lower tolerance for the avant-garde than I do. (laughs) And she loves this tune. And she loves the video and stuff. So that's how I know that there's some accessibility there. It's It's a popular song of theirs, I know. And yeah, I love the little drum... I guess it would be, a, is it a drum machine? Who knows with modern production? But Who knows? I don't know. Yeah, the, the yeah. production on all this, I, I would love to see those sessions to see how they got all those sounds because some of them like, I have no idea where that came from. I also really loved the line, but when the waves come, you face them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, once again, you've pulled the line, the only line that I pulled as well. Baby, save it, we're wasted. I know we got to slow it down, but when the waves come, you face them. And you know we can't stop it now. I mean, it's great. Yeah, it's a great it's a line, line about life and death, and death comes to us all, and there is a sexiness to that. That you know, I mean, it's everything's the duality. Not to compare everything to the Beatles, but the hello goodbye of you know, yeah. black and white. You know, people. There is something to that. I think that you know, knowing that there was this almost an orgy like experience. Did you get that girl's? I mean, I assume it was a girl. Did you get her number? Did you ever no, talk to her again? I didn't. Don't even know the name. <laughs> Don't even know the name. What it's a the only great time story. that's literally it's the only time that's ever happened. I mean, I'm the most boring person when it comes to that shit. But it was that. It's cool. You gotta yeah. have moments like that in your life. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, what was it all for? Yeah, right? great, great song. Doing it to death, and that's there's a duality in that too. Doing it, that's proactive. Doing it, and you know, I have a shirt that I bought from when I saw the kills perform that has doing it to death, just written on it without any explanation. And I wear it often because I love the sentiment and I'm often asked like doing what, cause the, the implication is you're talking about sex doing it. Sure. Well, it could be anything, but right. But I That's think the that beauty of it, the word yeah, it, it's more about the proactive nature of doing something to death, the finality, the, yeah. as a, like what exactly what you just said the just the two diametrically opposed ideas not that it's worth bringing up on my part but the 14 year old in me of course when i first heard doing it to death i chuckled i chuckled 
It's Why? like, it's because, it, you know, in middle school, that, that would have been the sexual thing right there. It's like, really? oh, you did it to death. <laughs> really? We're and, finding out new things about yeah. this well, all When the I heard time. you guys talk about, you know, the, you know, going for pleasure too much, you know, until it doesn't make yeah. I still thought that, you know. It's, <laughs> yeah, well, wow. I never heard that, but... I mean, it was just really... Oh, yeah. I don't think I should be too proud that I'm the one who brought that up the first time. <laughs> Breaking news. <laughs> yeah. Not one of my better music journalist moments right No, now. I mean, that's really interesting. Someone else said, like, oh, I liked it because it was really tongue-in-cheek. And I just thought, well, yeah. it's not really. It's <laughs> like, what? I didn't know what they meant. Jamie Hintz said of this song, it's gone through loads of different titles. It was called Not in the Program for a while. Also, Push My Buttons black and white blues etc and then the lyrics were the last thing to happen to it so i guess they added that after the music and jamie wrote the song primarily and said he wanted to write a song that sounded like it was being performed in a jamaican dance hall awesome like elephant man lady saw or vibes cartel doing it to death was my guitar version of a dance hall track so that's the background on this one. So, yeah, Doing It to Death. I love this song. If you listen to no other songs from this record, just listen to Doing It to Death. It's I would agree with that. Fantastic. That brings us to track two, Heart of a Dog. And then this was what, this, their second single as well? Uh, second one, yeah. I think deservedly so. I think it's probably the second best song on the record. Yeah, I, I took it, I mean, it's very good. I, I love the title. It's a, it's a heart of a great title, first and foremost. I think it's about the kills themselves, their rise from their basically their career. Yeah. And then how having good, strong, I guess you'd call it loyalty, because she says I'm loyal, right? How that is part of how you build that type of career. That could be wrong. Maybe I read that somewhere, but that's, I need you. Don't ask me why it is. I want strings attached. Yeah. Natural as it feels. That to me sounds like you're making your way through your career and you're like, well, I don't know if I like this person, but there's mutual benefits here and we just got to make it work. That's, that could also just be where my brain is at. No, I love that. Sometimes you see yourself in, in art, but yeah, I, I I really like this track. I love that interpretation of it. I actually, I kind of had a tangential feel about it, but I, I think you might actually be onto something much more than I was. I was interpreting her saying, I've got the heart of a dog almost in a sarcastic way, almost like, you know, when she says, you know, a dog has a connotation of like, you know... Man's best friend. Sure, man's best friend, but also like a dog. Like there's a almost like a derogatory way you could interpret calling somebody a dog, you know, because they're, you know, dogs are not independent at all. They're completely dependent on their humans. They're always looking for scraps. They're always looking for it to be tossed a bone, you know? And so when I hear her saying, I've got the heart of a dog, I feel like she's simultaneously kind of balancing the negative and the positive 
And I actually prefer your explanation much more. <laughs> like she didn't know where she was going, maybe, or the band didn't know where they were going in their career. And so they just kind of were going wherever. They're like a dog. They're following you around. I like that a lot uh, as well. The Kills said of this one, Allison said, this was a song I wrote on Whidbey Island at Hedgebrook with a drum beat that Jamie had sent her. Mm. And it took her three days to download because I guess the internet was shitty. The song is as it was written, really, except for it sounds way better when Jamie plays guitar on it. Jamie says, you didn't have the drums on there. Allison says, no, I wrote it to a different drum beat, but some of the drums are still there. And uh, I guess they were going for a John Bonham by way of iPad feel. Holy shit. Which is cool. I got asked to go out to this um, women's like writers retreat. It was the coolest thing I've ever done. It was like ten days in the woods in a cabin with no people, no internet, no phone, nothing. And I wrote like fourteen songs in ten days and painted seventy-five pictures. I was just like, I have so much time. This is amazing. It was great. So Heart of a Dog came from that. That's one of the songs that I came back with. At a studio set up in London, and I'd send a drum beats and it would take her like five hours to download them because it was like some weird forest internet and then she'd write write a song really quickly to it and then send it back and i'd be like yep or no but most of the time it was yeah she was really on a roll i love the samples on this one i love that chorus i'm loyal oh oh. i'm loyal oh oh. it's really good yeah it's a great chorus good song yeah i guess i just interpreted it in an innocent like an open-hearted sort of way well i appreciate it that brings us to track three hard habit to break This beginning makes me think of the Beck record we talked about last season, Modern Guilt. It's a little tough on the ears, but with the hookiness on the back end, it kind of like becomes a bit more accessible. Got it. Jamie's guitar is a highlight. There's a harmonic descent to Allison's chorus, which is really awesome. Almost something like, uh, sounds like a song that could have been on McCartney 2 or something like that. The TV static solo Jamie does is just really, really good. There's a bit here where the lines are, you're really getting close to me so far, so close to me. So point me to a yes, no, yes, no, don't tell me maybe. It's pounding. Like a lot of this song, there's a, like a almost like a tribal rhythmic boom, boom, boom. It hits you like a pulse. Absolutely. Uh, the kill said of this song, Jamie said, Allison wrote one verse and I felt like I could hear the rest of the song. So I took it and changed a few things and added a few things. I remembered playing it to Allison. She went, that's not my song. So it kind of went quiet for ages. She was really offended by it. She said, you've used the first line of my song and then you've completely changed it out of recognition. I can't remember the word she used, something like homogenous. Allison says, oh, that's not the, Allison said, that's not the word. Jamie says, no, it's not. Not homogenous, curmudgeon. Allison says, that's not the word either. Jamie says, I can't remember what the word was. Anyway, she said it was something or other and fast and bulbous. So I just left it quiet for a bit, but I used 
to sing it in my head, and then I gradually finished it. So I guess this was started by Allison and finished by Jamie. What's your favorite line? I don't know. I like the chorus. If you're going to dress me up from head to toe, and then I'll go, well, I'm a hard habit to break. I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of little nice little accents in this song. Not a, not a like my favorite track on the record, but a great track three. Always talking about change, what change, maybe when the lights fade. That's good. I don't know why that one hit me the way it did, but it did. And what else did I write down here? Uh, yeah, no, I, I think I, I actually didn't write anything else. I agree with you. You're like, because you're riding high from those first two. Yeah. It's still a great song. Good title, too. All of these titles yeah. are great. You know, you're reading through, like, Ugh. I... I, I they really care about songwriting, and I think that this is when they really started to shine as a group. Yeah, well, she's also kind of a natural poet. She put out a book of poetry and artwork recently on Third Man Books called Car Ma, mm -hmm. uh, a play on karma, but also a play on cars because she's like a big muscle car person. And a big Rick Ocasek fan. <laughs> yeah, so she... That's how she writes songs. She drives around in muscle cars around Nashville where she lives and writes down what she's singing to herself. That's how she writes songs. I always find that interesting to hear how these songwriters do it. You know? I agree. That brings us to track four, another great title, Bitter Fruit. beginning of this one may as well be a car song speaking of the cars seriously some real cars vibes here i cut your branches through and through but still i only taste that bitter fruit Ooh, yeah that's 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 a that's a tough line i could pray but you can't see the kind of things i pray for are cursing me see some kind of reference to a poison tree and then I looked this up. There is a poem, a William Blake poem called The Poison Tree. This poem talks about how a tree grows from some, someone's unexpressed hatred. And then the wow. apples on the tree are, are poisonous. And I was like, I love that. That's, yeah. that's what this reminded me of. I also looked that up. It's not like I just had that literary reference on the top of my brain. But that's that's what amazing. It, yeah, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Well, Allison said of this song, I wanted to write a soul song because I felt like the drum machines are so relentless that I wanted some kind of soul feel in it. I used to get these old soul records and record them onto a computer, then map out where the bass drums were and start forming a drum beat around that soul feel. So I guess this is really trying to go with a, a soul-y kind of hook. Some similarities here to the hives in a way. This one feels to me a bit like uh, See the Idiot Walk. I don't know if you're familiar with that song at all. I am, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's got that kind of vibe to it. Hooky, melodic. There's some of that Allison sex on there, that indescribable Allison sex on there. And you also get a, a hint of this African drum and fuzz rock. Yeah, it's, it's true. Just, it's just all there on this song. Yeah, they don't leave a lot 
out. It's all on the court. It's all on the record. Yeah. Brings us to track five, Days of Why and How. Great title. I'm not saying. love that break beat that pop rap thing going on at the top uh the kills you know as i mentioned would go on to cover saul williams and also rihanna and their love of hip-hop is transparent on tracks like this and what a hook when i hear your name it's like a freight train (laughs) shake 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 shaking me off my tracks yeah i wrote that one down too and and there's there's one preceding it i can feel it in my heart Silence is the loudest shot, a train passing in the dark. Uh, I'll never be able to write lyrics this good. They are, I mean, mean, maybe I can, but like just great, just really, really well done poetry and lyric, rock and roll lyrics. Yeah, I guess there was about seven different versions they went through. Keyboards, crazy program drums, no drums, normal drums, Mm. a million changes, and... At one point, the engineer decided he thought that they should do it in this way that that made it to record, and they had a big argument about it and stuff, and I guess that they just wound up here. But I don't know. I think that speaks to why this album works for me more than others, whereas the experimentation is still there, but they ultimately settle on a more commercial sound, which I right. gravitate toward. Yeah, I you definitely do. You, you like a lot of commercialized... Not, not commercialized in an ugly sense, but just popular rock stuff. It's popular, not, it doesn't have to be indie or secret. You do appreciate that stuff, but Jack White is a very successful modern era rock and roll man. This group is the same sort of thing. And that's, that's part of your palette. Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, I like that bite and they've definitely got that bite on there, which um, brings us to track six, let it drop. I love that little bouncy guitar that brings us through this one. There's a playful quality to this Definitely track. Definitely true. Almost like a playful eulogy at a funeral or something. Like when huh. I, you know, I don't know, when I die, I, I, Ryan, I want you to tell Susanna that I want a kill song playing at some point during my funeral. Okay. We're putting that to record. That's official. It's there. That's fine. As long as mine is Yellow Submarine. In the town where I was born, lived a man. (laughs) That's good. The Kill said of this track, uh, Jamie said, we'd started that song as one of the first songs on the record, and it was called Ash and Ice. We tried loads and could never finish it to the point where we were just about finishing the record in Electric Lady, and I just couldn't stand this song not being done. I felt like it was a really big song, so I went in and just started it from scratch, kept the music but started the whole concept of the melody 
and the lyrics then we recorded that one on the last day of recording oh, wow. at electric lady so this one was the last one to be added to the record you're giving me reasons to turn my teardrops into death threats <laughs> unbelievable yeah yeah it's a good one i don't have much written about it it's a, it's a good good track on the record yes same same but again a great title and then by this point in the record you're like okay they worked these songs through so hard, all of them. They all live in this... It's not just the same corner of a musical world. They all live on like the, like a pinhead. It's all yeah. a very dialed-in sound. And I'm not saying it's small in the sense that the records are small. They're very large-sounding. They all have this very specifically dialed-in palette. And I can't identify a lot of the production... Or I'm like, what is, I can't even tell you what kind of guitar that is. And usually I'm like, oh, that's a Fender bass. Or, you know, that's, oh, it's very clearly, the, you know, it's, um, I, I guess to piggyback upon something I was saying about you last, like, this is not retro rock and roll. This is yeah. the cutting edge of rock and roll. Modern, this is what the Vanguard is doing now. And I find that yeah. very exciting. Yeah, the standing on the shoulders stuff. That's right. what I like about it, you know. And I'm always waiting for that next one. I haven't really seen it yet, you know, we... No, I haven't either. We took a good long look at... Who are those Zeppelin guys? The... What is it? The, the, the young guys that sound like Led Zeppelin? Yeah, who are those guys? The guys that everybody hates. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I don't mind them at all. I can't remember their name. Fuck. I'm going to look... I'm going to do an experiment right now. I'm going to Google... I Googled modern band that sounds like Led Zeppelin... First result, Greta Van Fleet. Greta Van Fleet, right, the girl's name. I'm looking for bands that are going to do the Vanguard stuff, like you say, or be that standing-on-the-shoulders group. And, I, you know, there was a time when we thought maybe Greta Van Fleet would do it, but, you know, they're just too... They're like they're like Oasis if Oasis was just, like, straight-covering Beatles songs. Yeah. Like, like, write a song in the same key as Oh Darling and have it be like, Oh Baby or something. And like, yeah, right. it's very close. A lot of that stuff is a little too close. I'm just waiting for the next one, you know, and the, the, yeah, there's a couple of candidates, you know, we'll see where it all nets out. You know, I think Courtney Barnett, like we talked about last season, even though she is not necessarily on the forefront of like cutting edge rock anymore, I think she was a candidate for a while, but we'll find it. We'll, find we'll it stay tuned to this space. Yeah. Anyway, track seven, Hum for Your Buzz, my favorite track title. Really good track title. of Levon Helm for sure yeah on this one the yeah. line I'm a believer but the receiver is off I was like why haven't <laughs> I ever thought to rhyme believer and receiver before that's great yeah. there's a song I wanted to uh, I, I did want to bring up though uh, hum for you hum for your buzz hum for your buzz yeah um, it's great it's it's like a, I got it written down here it's like the cent- I mean it is the center of the record you put it right in the middle but it, it actually feels like the centerpiece it's like palate oh. cleanser that you nice. it's so perfectly 
slotted in there. Is this your song? I'm, I'm yeah. catching by the look in your eye and everything. I'm it's, going like, I make kind of it's like, you, it's you. <laughs> but it's, just it, it's also the different song on the record. It, it, we almost I, started the record with it. We toyed with that, yeah. that idea. But then we weren't sure what people's sort of concentration span for whole albums is anymore, you know? Because it just felt like it would be such a nice start and then suddenly the rest of the record's not like that afterwards. But um, it's the first song on the um, B-side of the vinyl, isn't it? On side two. Don't know. I don't have it yet. This one was recorded at a rented house in Los Angeles, just a couple of mics for Allison and uh, Jamie's guitar. Uh, Moss Hart wound up recalling to tonedef.com. What really made that song come alive for me is when we were recording it in LA, it was really fun. I was standing in a bathtub and I could see Jamie and Jamie was standing in the living room on the other side. And so I guess, yeah, this was just sort of a homespun kind of recording. Right. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of a classic blues song. You know, it's there's a different angle on it really, but it's very kills, but... Yeah, it's just uh, it's it's strong strong track. Agreed, very good stuff. Like this is one of those albums you put on, and it's just an album experience, and the songs sort of blend all together in a way. And it's for after a while, after a few listens, I was like, oh, this is about the lyrics, just as much yeah. as it is about the like they're letting you live in this this sonic world that they've really spent a long time nailing down. So just kind of like really pay attention. I. And I didn't hear a lot of the lyrics, some of these lines, like like in the next song. Um, yeah, track eight, Siberian Nights. What a great concept just about, you know, he doesn't want to, he or she doesn't want to be alone, but you know, we'll, we'll go back to our sides, but tonight we need a little bit of warmth and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> all right, man. I could whip you up like cream is literally the first line of this song. Hey, There's some hip hop going on here. I could know? drink your seven C's. You ever... <laughs> If I was a single man, I would. That'd be. You walk up to the bar. What do you? Well, what do you? What would you like? Yeah, I could drink your seven C's. Do you get punched in the face? <laughs> you get pepper sprayed. So Jamie wrote this one on the Trans Siberian Express. Come on. Yeah, it's true. He said, "I thought our record would be sort of paranoid and romantic." So I was on the Trans-Siberian Express, freezing cold, snowing outside, silver birch trees, and I wrote a song about Vladimir Putin. It was at the height of the pussy riot thing, and I just wanted to write a song where Putin's almost too masculine, riding bare-chested on the horse and all that stuff. (laughs) Uh, And Allison goes, just to the point where he exhausts himself. Amazing. So yeah, this is uh, this is about all that pussy riot stuff. Didn't McCartney wear one of those free pussy riot shirts? I'm pretty sure he's he's doing just about everything these days. He's in his. Um, I almost feel like he's he's about to be in his Andy Kaufman period of his career. <laughs> 
Paul. He's on Third Man Records, for God's sakes. I know. McCartney 3, man. I can't even believe I got to do a new Take It Away now. Holy crow. Wow. We got uh, one of the listeners to the Third Man podcast wound up picking up one of those ones that are going for thousands of dollars now. The the ones the that we dot. got? No, the, the ones that we got are like the second wave. The okay. first wave was only like limited to 333 Holy copies. Holy cow. Whew. Brings us to track nine, That Love. of a tender ballot in the midst of all this sex going on you know lay try the truth and test it before you lose sight of the shore um and then i go what does that mean i'm like oh no that actually makes a lot of sense this is this is some heavy i under actually i understand why they haven't made a record since because this is the cheesecake of sorts uh, a sonic cheesecake a, a lyrical cheesecake where not in the sense that it's bad for you it's just like a decadent oral dessert in in all ways. You're like, wait, what? What is this flavor I'm tasting? And uh, yeah, I, I like this song a lot. This was another one that that perked my ears back up. Wow, a decadent oral dessert. That's the that's the subtitle, I think. Does that a, does that count as like a half a bullet? It's like a casing. <laughs> it's, I like that. That's good. <laughs> I'm um, good when I don't think about it. This is one that wasn't a favorite of mine when it came out, but I've really grown to appreciate it. And you, you pulled that line, which is great. I pulled the line, that love you're in is all fucked up. That mm. love you're in is done. What a biting lyric. And then she ends with, that love you're in is a fucking joke. Whew. I mean, I don't know if you've been in this situation. I've been in the situation where I've, would describe a relationship I've been in in those terms. You know, it's a fucking joke. It's done. It's fucked up. Yeah, where something happens and it all shifts. You're like, oh, wait, this is not anything I thought it was. And then it's a wrap. Yeah, for sure, man. This one gives me big uh, Impossible Winter vibes. We talked about Impossible Winter from the Mm -hmm. Dead Weather earlier in the show. It's got that Allison thing. Um, Via Allison, she said, that was another one that I wrote on acoustic guitar. And then I had an idea that I really wanted to find a piano player to play on. Dean Fertitta from the Dead Weather and Queens of the Stone Age happened to be in L.A. And we had him come in. So, yeah, Dean plays on this one. So, Mm. gives you that Dead Weather vibe. He learned the song in the morning and by the afternoon we'd pretty much done it. We probably sang and played that song at the same time in different parts of the house about 20 times. It was a lot, but we just kept doing it. Creaky piano footsteps. I think it's beautiful. It's the song everyone says. Should be another minute long, but I think it's great the way it is. Excellent. Really, really good. Yeah, that brings us to track 10, Impossible Tracks. It's another favorite for me on the record. Probably a highlight for me on the record. A highlight? Okay. Yeah, what a hook. You know, you got that drum programming, but the guitar, you know, really giving you the business. And oh, my shaken heart, you got me from the start. You got me good. That's just a really great hooky chorus. Just ah, gets it right there. Because I'm easily led by the moon, by the tide, by whatever you like. I'm just so easily led. Oh, my shaking, 
I wrote down the whole verse that starts with there's a full moon over sunset. Yeah. Just all of that, all of the descriptive nature of that and just the way it made me feel. I was like, wow, that's, again, really, really good. There's a full moon over sunset, got our feet in perfect stride, and we walk in perfect meter while we hold our smiles inside. And we hold our smiles inside. We're holding back the tide and we stride in perfect meter like the sun won't ever rise. Wow. Yeah. Really, really dialed in writing. One of the things I love the most about this band is that even when a song sounds like Allison is singing and I find out that it's Jamie that wrote it, it still works. The gender flip thing still works. And yeah, this was a Jamie song. He said of this one, it's one of the few times I wrote a song in a night. I stayed up and the next day I had a song. And he said, everyone went to bed. I stayed up. I had that riff and I was struggling with it a little bit, not knowing what to do. I took a drum sample from this beautiful old soul song that had such a great feel, like a gospel demo. Mm. And then I wrote a song that was kind of from Allison's point of view. I was writing as if I was Allison. It's one of the few times I stayed up and wrote a song just like that from start to finish. So yeah, this is, we talk about the androgyny. It could go either way. And uh, yeah, Jamie even wrote it as a man from a woman's perspective. Wow. Yeah. I love their relationship, whatever it is. It really works for the art. Yeah. Well, that brings us to track 11 here, Black Tar. <laughs> this song you know i think if i had to cut one i don't know maybe i'd cut this one i'd, I'd be cut, I'd to cut it one. as well I, I i i agree with you on it it has some good lines the world is looking like uh, london's bloodthirsty paris is a vein open i was like oh but uh yeah i i, I don't know that it what is done on this is done better on some other tracks, but it, but, right. it, but it fits on the album. So it's like, again, once you get past track 10, it's my whole nine track album and last theory. Like, do you yep. really need that extra song or is that for your ego? I think about that all the time since you brought that up on this show. It's a very astute observation. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. And I, people are starting to... So people actually listen to this show, apparently, because I am getting called out on that now. Like, does this sort of like, like what, I mean... This song's pretty good. It's track 11, but like, it's past nine. Like, how do you feel about that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, this song is not offensive, but maybe, yeah, once you once you get a song like Black Tar by the end of here, it should have been a B-side, maybe, you know? I think the only thing I get differently about this song is the beat drop mid-track where Allison's okay. voice comes to the fore and Jamie drops out. That's really the only thing I can give you differently about this song that i can't really say about another song but i other than that it's not much allison said that this one was written at electric lady when they got there they were in a small studio waiting to get into the big studio going through a couple songs that they hadn't finished in la that's cool though. and while they were doing that they wrote this track so yeah a quick one a quick one they sort of pounded out here which brings us to track 12 echo home the penultimate track on the record Flowing with the waters, I'm spinning into orbit. 
Jamie said of this one that he wrote this in LA. He had the music for a long time, but it came together at a point where he didn't finish the lyrics and it actually wasn't even going to make it to the record. And in that panic, he finished writing the record. So it was almost like a, uh, it spurred him to do it. And since like a deadline can help some people. My only problem with this album is there are times where some of the tracks feel like repeats of other tracks. This one to me sounds like maybe a weaker version of Days of Why and How. Would I have cut this one? Maybe. I would normally say that this would have actually even could have made, if interpreted differently, a good end to the album. But I'm actually glad they ended it where they did and not with this one. Yeah, I agree. I agree on that. I mean, I don't have too much more to say about Echo Home. Echo Home, it's a long, 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 long drop from the rocks to the pearls. Woo! So we got so lost. We got so lost. We got so lost for so long. And I know that seems like a simple line, but saying we got so lost three times in a row kind of makes you feel a little lost. Yeah. So lost, so lost, like the word so and lost, I sound like a crazy person. And then flipping it with so lost, so long. The words are great. And that's why I was like, ah, oh, that's really, that's really fucking good. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, more like a, a tone poem, right? Yeah. But yeah, then that, that puts you in the whirling eye, which does have some more repetition. this one to me is one of my favorites on the album i'm shocked they held this back for the last track but i'm glad they did because it's a strong closer yeah if if we are talking fantasy baseball world i would have cut let me just like zoom out at the track list i would have gotten rid of black tar and echo home and i would have ended with an with 11 tracks whirling eye because all the other songs are really good and then you could have had b-sides for the singles but, yeah. you know, I mean, none of this is wrong. This is just, like I said, it's not right or wrong. I feel the same way. It's why it's why I don't think it's a perfect record. And at the start of this, I said, I like the band more than I like the record. But I find this one surprisingly listenable, considering how long it is, and considering how occasionally repetitious it can be. I really do put this one on and just enjoy it start to finish. I mean, this track, Whirling Eye, is a great one. It's one that we heard, I think, in that Disgraceland episode with Anthony Bourdain. instead of this track that one started out as another song that was uh, that was called whirling eye i have this totally same quote lyrics. written down i found this one yeah too. do you yeah. go ahead go ahead. no 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 take i was just in pointing out that we usually find the same stuff it's very funny she goes on to say then we were in la i decided to do an la version of it Ooh. and write it all about hollywood 
It was my favorite. So I changed the first verse and the last verse. Like I'm uh, going on a drive through LA, being very confused about life, going up and down Ventura Boulevard, melting in the sun, pumping gas. And I love that. I just, when I found out that this song was about LA, you know, you and I, I mean, I think you have maybe had a more palpably intense LA experience than I <sighs> being in the music industry. You know, comic book people were very shuttered race, but I could relate to a lot of this. It, the lyrics, Hollywood, 2 a.m., questioning everything. Yeah. Neon, red, white, and blue, catching up with you. Got a dream doesn't mean you know what to do. You watch me like a hawk. Do you need what I got? You find yourself alone inside, a mirror and a kiss. What you want is hard to find, and it's hard to miss. Get the vision. Get the vision. Get the vision. Come on. Yeah. I mean... She's talking about filling up her gas tank, getting ogled by people in LA. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I like how she re- rewrote the words. It does make the, I, th- I don't know the other version, but I would imagine that it's not as good as this. And it is a great LA song. There is a, there is a desperation to LA. Even if you are successful, even if you're not even in any kind of entertainment, there is just this sadness here that hangs, whether it's the pollution or I don't know, the, you see the, the extremely poor and the extremely wealthy. You see the, the women that turn them, and men, frankly, that turn themselves into cat people from plastic yeah. surgery. And it's just like, what the hell is this place? But then you're like, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to leave because the weather's all right. You know? Yeah, and, and the um, industry is here, you know. It is, yeah. Well, yeah, so that's that's the end of the album. Great you know, album, great song, great collection of tracks. Learned a lot. Yeah, we'll do a little bit of reception, shall we? Ooh, a little reception. Gentlemen, you've just recorded your first number one. Wow, an award statue! Oh, it's a Grammy! So, this one... Look, the kills are not like a charting band. They're more of like a niche kind of thing. I would say that this garnered a decent score out of Metacritic, 68 out of out of 100, and Exclaim Magazine's Laura Schiarpelletti praised the band's bare-bones power technique. On Billboard, it peaked at number 21 and spent two weeks on the chart. So it was actually their highest-charting American Billboard album. Oh, wow. Uh, Midnight Boom was just after this with uh, peaking at number 133. So again, they're, they're not like a charting, they're not like a charting band. Uh, Blood Pressures as well was uh, was on the Billboard chart and peaked at number 37. But it looks like, you know, as far as units moved, commercial exposure, Ash and Ice is kind of the pinnacle of the kills. And I, I really look forward to what we're going to get next. Allison Mossart has released uh, during the pandemic some solo material. It is different sounding than the kills and mm. the dead weather. It is much more, I don't want to say dirgy, but like ballady. And so if you are looking for that sort of thing, you know, that music is good. Whether, you know, whatever she's in, she injects a bunch of herself into it and, and her collaborators. And I would say that for the kills, I would say that for the dead weather, I would say that for any other band that she's in. And I just love her. I just love her so much. Yeah. I've, I've definitely fallen for her. My love for her transcends even the music at a certain point. I just like that somebody like Alison Mosshart in this world exists, 
you know? I agree with you on that. It's really, it's nice to have these types of stars and rock and roll people in this era. They're still around. It's just, you know, there's a a sea of other things to distract you. But yeah, really, really fun. I would encourage everybody to go and check out some live performance of Allison and just watch her do her Robert Plant thing. (laughs) You know, she wears these big fucking boots and she's like bending over backwards. And it's just captivating, absolutely captivating watching her perform. So thank you, everybody, for going on this journey with me. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Paul. This is a fun one. I was looking forward to this one. And uh, yeah, I guess, you know, we'll we'll see you back here next time. Enjoy every sandwich, everybody. Enjoy every sandwich. All right. So we'd also like to thank Jack Fay. Jack. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jack. Uh, Jack, you do wonderful work, and uh, we really love working with you on all our shows. So thank you so much. Very talented guy, part of our crew over here. Couldn't do it without you. Thank you, man. Jack. We should come up with like a name for our crew. What should we call it? Our, well, so, ooh, I've been calling our little business headquarters, but maybe this is the podcasting <gasps> division of headquarters. <sighs> you like that? Because of monkey men. The monkeys and the Ghostbusters would always call their building headquarters. And it's just a good word. I think Paul's I in love. Freeze. I'm just excited. I'm just <laughs> Paul heard the birth of the name. We got it down. It's on record. <laughs> Wish I could record a face. Oh, wait, you can. It's called a video. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jack. And uh, thank you to everybody else at Crew Headquarters. Thanks. We love it. Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Do you have an opinion about the album we discussed today? Contact us at at nowhearthispodcast on Instagram, at nowhearthispod on Twitter, facebook.com slash nowhearthispodcast, or email us at nowhearthisofficial at gmail.com. See you next time. Oh no, is my Google not Googling? Oh, let me do it. This is our one exception to the Googling policy. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute... Mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming while they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, ACAST, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an ACAST supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. Okay. All right. Well, bye then. All right. Um, it's great. We did it. We did it. I'm going to press stop. All right. Well, hey, Ryan. Hey, Paul. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm here to tell the listeners that if they'd like to contribute mm. to help keeping these Now Hear This episodes coming, well, they can donate featuring the wonderful new donation technology that ACAST has developed for us. That's right. ACAST 
has helped us out. They host the show. Yeah, our hosts, Acast, have made it really easy to donate to the show. They have an Acast supporter feature, and there's a link in the show description that you can follow to kick a couple bucks for the show. It can be five bucks, a hundred bucks, less than a dollar. We don't care. Yeah, just something to keep the lights on. It's all out of pocket, and we do this out of love, and that's it. And we love you all for listening. Thank you very much for doing that. Couldn't said it better myself. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, bye then. <laughs>